The reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, and can be found on page 1154 of the Church Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? 
But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of God. Our God, our Father, we, we do pray as we have sung that you would speak to us now as we could look at your word together. We pray that we would be open to you and to your leading by your spirit, that you would open our hearts and our lives, that we may respond to you and what you say, that we may come under your authority as revealed in your word. And Father, we pray particularly as we consider some difficult and often um, can be controversial issues, we just pray, Father, that you'll help us to be looking to your word and that you will lead us by your Spirit. Guide us, we pray. Open our hearts to you, we pray, that we may serve you and that your church would be built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Um, just before we begin, I just want to ask um, Louisa to stand up. Louisa's there, isn't she? You had to do this this morning. And um, Louisa there is our safeguarding officer, parish support, parish safeguarding officer. And it's just good from time to time for everyone to know who she is. And you can find her details are also posted in the fellowship area. Um, but you should, we should all be aware who our pa- parish safeguarding officer is. So um, do say hi to Louisa if you've not got to know her. Thanks, Louisa. Thank you. Okay, well, do keep your Bibles open at um, page 1154, 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, we're going to look at this um, this week and we'll look at it next week. Um, but I wonder, as we, we start, um, has anyone been to a silent disco? You've been to a silent disco? I should ask, what was it like? It was the best thing ever. Anyone else been to a silent disco? There's quite a lot of you been. I've never been to a silent disco. I think I ought to go. Um, for those who don't know what a silent disco is, for Richard's uh, benefit particularly, uh, <laughs> but there may be others, um, for those who haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, it's, it's a group of people that gather uh, in a place uh, to listen and dance to music. Um, and what they have is they have their headphones on and music is streamed into your headphones and you can dance away um, to it. And uh, you can even have multiple different music going into different people. You're not all listening, in fact, to the same thing often. Um, and uh, you're having music streamed in, and then you're, you're just dancing away. And so um, to, to somebody looking in from the outside, the, the sort of observer from the outside, would look at it, look at the participants of those dancing, and it would all look, it would be silent to the outside observer, but it would look um, like there's no apparent reason that they're, that they're dancing together. And often the groups are not listening to the same music, all dancing in completely their own way, in their own kind of world. From the outside, you can imagine watching, perhaps knowing nothing about what's going on. It might look a bit strange, it might look a bit bizarre, and you're not quite sure what on earth is going on. Now, 
in, in a similar way, not exactly the same way, but in a similar way, the, the Corinthian Christians were rather like a, a little bit of a silent disco at times in their, in their worship service. Um, they were uh, liberated um, to, to do as they felt often and to in, enjoy their freedom. But here was the thing with the Corinthian church, just like those clubbers dancing uh, in their own little bubble, um, the Corinthians were strutting their stuff uh, in their own little bubbles, effectively, a kind of a bit oblivious sometimes to what was going on around them. Um, and obvious, uh, and to uh, the outsider could look a bit strange and look a bit odd to people because it wasn't really explained. Now, remember this church. If you don't know much about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was often divided. If you go back and read the other earlier chapters, it's well worth doing that. Um, You can see it's divided in many ways. It was divided because of a personality, cult. People were saying, I'm with this person, I'm with that person. Um, It was divided by a number of sexual issues going on in the church. It was divided in the communion services. And in a sense, here in chapter 14, it seems that their church meetings were also um, divided and divided and disorderly. And everyone was kind of in their own little bubble and their own little world doing their own little thing. These church meetings were, were actually causing some problems and there was a lack of concern for others. And it's into that that Paul is writing. And as we've seen... Um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, Paul is writing this letter as a kind of a corrective to the Corinthians. And he centers his teaching here in in 12 to 14 around teaching of um, the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And he centers his teaching of gifts around that central chapter of chapter 13, doesn't he, that we heard last week, of love. Uh, And we sense Paul is careful in the way he approaches it. He starts emphasizing, he's back in chapter 12, emphasizing the unity and the diversity in the body. Go back and have a look at it. There's diversity of gifts in chapter 12. Uh, and, and there's a need for different spiritual gifts to work together to build up the common good of the church. And what seems to be um, clear as we get to chapter 14 is that the Corinthians have put importance on the gift of tongues. Seems to be what he's he's talking into now specifically. Um, And and in a sense, if you perhaps read back in, some people say maybe they were putting too much emphasis on that particular gift at the expense of other gifts. And I want you to notice um, very carefully, if we look at the end of chapter 12, what does it, it say? At the end of chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. You see that? And at that point, Paul leaves that statement kind of hanging there, doesn't he? He's just leaving it hanging. What are the greater gifts, you're thinking? He's just leaving it there hanging with the question, what's the greater gifts? And instead of going straight into to, to maybe speaking about the, the, the specific issue about tongues, he takes them on a detour about love, doesn't he? Straight into the most excellent way 
It says there at the end of chapter 12, which is the way of love. And then we have the chapter on love, and then we arrive at chapter 14, where in verse 1 he says, follow the way of love. And, what does he say? Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire them. But now he tells us how we can measure which gifts are the greater ones. Do you see what's happening? You see, once the principle of love is in place, once that principle is in place and put into practice, once we're attuned to the most excellent of ways, which is love, then we can know which the greater gifts are, can't we? If you think about it, the greater gifts are the gifts that are most effective at building up love. Isn't it? Yeah? It's about that. Um, so do you see, what's the greatest expression of Christian discipleship? Loving others. The greater gifts are those that enable you and me to love uh, and to serve and to give ourselves to each other. Uh, and I suppose the lesser gifts don't enable that to happen as much or, or in a diff, in a, perhaps not in such a prominent way that helps love. So let's put that, that first principle in place. What then, our question is, is perhaps to think about these, what is, what is this tongues? Because you, maybe you're here and you've never been introduced to that and maybe you don't know what prophecy is. And it's, let's just take a moment to define those very briefly and probably inadequately because others of you will know lots about this and, and will have been used to this and uh, many of you may prophesy and speak in tongues. Let's talk about that for a minute. Next week, we'll be consider it a little bit more uh, in more other detail, particularly when it comes to worship within the, the church context. But tongues is an ability to speak in a language that the speaker neither knows nor understands, a language that's not learnt. It's been given as a gift. If you look back in Acts 2, remember the day of Pentecost, the gifts enable the speakers to communicate, the apostles to speak and to communicate with someone in a foreign land, from a foreign land, with a foreign language. But here in Corinth, it seems to be slightly different here. Because you see what it says in verse 2. For it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. It's as if tongues is kind of like a spiritual language. Um, and that's how many people today experience it. And some of you, I know, experience it. It's a language spoken to God. We'll put that there for the moment. What about prophecy? Prophecy, on the other hand, look at verse 3 with me, speaks, somebody who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Do you see that? And in some ways it's much harder to define, I think, because um, it seems to be about conveying spiritual truth. And exactly how that then relates to, say, for example, preaching teaching, uh, of wisdom, or a word of knowledge, I don't think it's always easy to, to untangle what which is which. One writer, I think, helpfully puts it like this. Prophecy 
is an intuitive insight given by the Holy Spirit for public declaration, but possesses neither the nature nor the authority of Scripture. So I think that's quite a good, helpful uh, um, understanding. But shall I say that again? The prophecy is an intuitive insight given by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift for public declaration, presumably for the building up of God's people. We'll talk about that in a minute. But possesses neither the nature nor the authority of Scripture. Perhaps an example will help um, give you a, a bit of more of a handle it. Handle it. Maybe you've been sitting listening um, to to something, a song or a sermon, um, and the conversation, or in a small group, maybe a Bible study, and suddenly it's as if God is addressing you and saying to you uh, something uh, that you think is is from God, uh, and it seems designed for you. And you want to share that. Maybe it is for the wider church, for the wider benefit and building up. Uh, and then you go to the, your leader, your small group leader, or, your, or the speaker, and you say that you think that God is saying this to you, and it's for the benefit of the testimony for the wider church, to build them up about that thing that has really struck you and spoken to you. You go to them... And you almost feel driven and compelled to do it. Now, I'm not saying that that often happens. I'm not saying it happens all the time. Um, I'm not saying that it's necessarily spontaneous. It might be something that's occurred to you over time, that the Spirit has been speaking to you. Um, It's an intuitive insight as you've studied God's Word, as you hear from Him through prayer, a moment of God-given prophecy, where you come and you say, I think God is saying this to me. And what do you do with that? How do you handle that is really important. Um, Now, we need to be absolutely clear at that point as well, that that is different from, say, Old Testament prophecy with a capital P, where the prophet was speaking as if God himself was speaking, you know, thus says the Lord, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah would say. Paul told the Corinthians that their prophecies had to be tested and weighed before they were accepted. And you can see that in our chapter. You see it in verse 32. The Old Testament prophets were speaking as if God himself was speaking and carries an authority that is different from prophecies that you may be hearing from God through as you uh, discern what he's saying to you. So the equivalent... Old Testament prophets, capital P, are the New Testament apostles, capital A. Verse 37, if you look at that, we haven't had it read, but I think it's quite helpful. You look at verse 37. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you, this is Paul, is the Lord's command. Okay? Okay? It's a command, because he's an apostle. Okay? Capital A. And that's very important as we discern what God is saying to us. Paul's word is a command from the Lord. The word of God. He's basically saying, my authority, given to me by the Lord Jesus, trumps those prophetic gifts of the church, because it is, I'm an apostle. So when we weigh prophetic insights, think God's saying something to you, you weigh it up. 
you come to uh, me and others and elders and people, leaders in the church, and you say, I think God's saying this, and, and maybe it is for the wider church, for their benefit. Does it sound consistent with the, the Bible as revealed by the prophets and the apostles? As they have recorded in the scriptures. Okay, let's, we'll stop there for a moment. Let's keep going and think about what does this mean for the believers? Those who have accepted Jesus as Lord. Let me just read that through. Read what I said in the light of verses 1 to 5. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one who understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edifies is another word for building up. It's often a strange word to us, but it effectively means to build up. But the one who prophesies edifies, builds up the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. He's positive about tongues. He's not saying it's bad or anything. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified, be built up. So again here, you can see the center here of Paul's message. He's saying tongues are good and a gift, a great gift. But it's limited, limited without any interpretation in a church. The only person that tongues would build up is the person who's speaking in tongues. Prophesy is a different league. In a sense, it's a greater gift because it's, it's understandable. With love, you see, going back to love in place, with the view of love in place, it's what can build up people in love. So then it becomes about what I can give to people in the church rather than what I can get. It's about building up others, about serving. Verse 3, strengthening, encouraging, comforting in verse 3. You see it there. So spiritual insights are, are a great thing. They're a wonderful thing. But they will only be great if they're intelligible words. That's a, in a sense, that could be the emphasis here. Verses 6 and 7. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation? Something that's, that's understandable, or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make a sound, such as pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what the tune is being played unless there is a distinction between the notes? You can see what the example that he's giving. I'm not particularly musical, as I demonstrated this morning, uh, in not knowing what trebleists are. Is it trebleists? No, still not right. Um, <laughs> But even I can see the greater thing about our music group is that they know the art of playing distinctive notes. Most of the time. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Mary played all the notes in the right order and made it intelligible. Did you? I know you did. I, I think you did. 
And they have helped us. They have helped us to sing, haven't they? <laughs> but imagine if Mary started playing notes in all the wrong order. Um, imagine she went into her little bubble and uh, a world of her own silent disco put on her earphones. <laughs> it would be no use, would it, to you or to me to build up the church? Mary might enjoy herself. She might find it really good and edifying for her. But it wouldn't be any use to you or or to me. Paul seems to, to, to warn here that tongues misused, and that seems to be what was going on a little bit here in, in Corinth, can divide, can di- cause division. Look at verse 10. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, Paul says, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. And we know all that experience, if you're a Brit abroad, don't you, like me, um, trying to speak to someone in a foreign land, we just try to speak slower and louder <laughs> to try and convey, and of course, because we don't know the language, do we? And it, what does that do? That causes distance that causes a barrier, doesn't it, between us, an alienation, a distancing. And so verse 12 says, so it is with you, since you are eager to have gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Desire gifts, but desire them so that they will excel in building up the church. Uh, When we are committed to the task of building each other up in love, we'll seek the greater gifts. Paul uses here those that are intelligible, like a prophetic insight, a word of knowledge. Um, And this, I think, is Paul's whole thrust here in Corinth. If you look with me, which seems a little bit of a conclusion statement for him in verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues. Again, he's thankful that he has that gift more than all of you, but in the church, when the the church is gathered, I would rather speak five intelligent words of instruction other than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's quite contrast, isn't it? Paul isn't um, driven by some sense of jealousy. After all, he can speak in tongues. Wonderful gift. He's driven by conviction instead, isn't he, of what is the best thing to build us up in love and service of one another. In the church, I would rather speak five intelligent words of instruction other than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in a sense, I would go as far to say, in church meetings, he's ruling out the use of tongues unless interpreted. And he's, he's doing this, why? Out of love. Remember chapter 13, um, verse 1. Do you look at that? It uh, starts to make a lot of sense of how the chapters hang together. Because chapter 13, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, do not have love in place, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
So there's a, a bit of a, an outline of what's going on here in Corinth. But what, what's the relevance to, to us here at St. John's and, uh, uh, and for us as a church? Because um, let's be honest, our issue isn't that I have a queue of people um, all trying to speak in tongues at the service. Um, I don't have that. Um, there's no pressure group for that. That seems to be the case perhaps in, in Corinth. As far as I know, um, who, where they were uh, uh, um, having, uh, Paul was trying to address a, a, an issue over. So we must ask us, how does this apply? Well, let's have a think about it in some different ways. How does Paul's principle of love, of building up others, work out in St. John's? Particularly thinking about this whole area, these gifts. Number one, I think it is, it is about how we communicate with each other as a body of believers. What we say to each other, uh, uh, in a sense, doesn't become unintelligible. Um, because it can easily fall into being unspiritual, can't it, easily? So what we say to one another, how we build up each other up is really important. So when we come together as a church, are we thinking, what can I say that builds up others? What prophetic insight or testimony can I bring to comfort each other? Um, And it might be not from the front, but it might be to each other after the service or before the service. Um, what can I pass on to encourage? Will I take trouble to go to Mary and others in the band and thank them for helping me sing and praise God for his glory and his wonder? Will I go and speak and tell um, somebody who's recently bereaved that God is good and he is comforting, that he will comfort you? Um, Will I go and encourage so that so-and-so can trust in the sovereignty of God as they look for a new job. Perhaps they're out of work. Perhaps you're out of work. That you can trust him. Speak some intelligible words of trust and confidence. That you have that spiritual insight. Or Or will we go British over coffee and start talking about how dreadful the weather's been? Or start talking about Gary Lineker? Dare I mention him? Do we talk, uh, do we communicate, speak about the things of God to each other? You know, my hunch is that we, we do a bit, but you know, I know I don't always do that. We should be speaking the words of God to each other. Um, if Paul wrote verse 19 to this church at St. John's, what might he say? I rather talk five words about God than 10,000 words about the weather or 10,000 words about Liverpool beating Manchester United. And I've talked a lot about that. (laughs) Is that your struggle? Is that my struggle, that sometimes we don't communicate these things? When was the last time anyone took the trouble to love you, to seek to build you up, ask you how things are going and how... The spiritual life is. So that's one thing. The second is, yes, yes, let's have prophetic insight in our meetings. If you think God has been saying something to you, um, you know, drop me a line. I'd love to hear that. And maybe that would be right to, that you get a chance to say it to everybody. 
or in a different context. It maybe is for a different group of people. Um, in our times of testimony, we should be having times of testimony, times of thanksgiving, having prophetic insight that will encourage, that will comfort, that will strengthen God's people. That's a good thing that will build up. Church isn't meant to be like the cinema, a place that you kind of, we go to uh, to watch a film, to watch a performance, to be entertained in our own little silent disco bubble. The church doesn't just end when the final song is sung. Um, thirdly, um, and what should I do if God has graciously given me or you the gift of tongues? Well, look at verse 13 uh, to 17. gives us a bit of a clue, and there's much more that perhaps could be said here. It says, For this reason, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret. Ask God to help you understand what it is he's saying to you, in the hope that it may be revealed, and so then becomes, in that sense, becomes then a prophetic Insight, intelligible words that can be weighed and tested against the scriptures with, with the leadership of the church for the edification, for the building up of God's people. Especially for those, as it says, who are in a position, verse 16, of an inquirer. Do you see that? Somebody who's inquiring so that they can say amen. What do we, why do we say amen at the front? Or you say amen when we pray? It's so that we can agree it's basically saying, truly, true, it means. I can agree, because I can understand it. I'm looking at the clock, and we need to finish. There is much more that could be said that we could pick over, and please do come and talk to me, and we'll pick up some more of this next week. Reaching out with prophetic insight and taking intelligible words about spiritual matters is a really important thing. It also very, can be very vulnerable for us, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, you might be given the cold shoulder. Uh, it might initially feel awkward. But in a sense, to love is to be vulnerable, isn't it? Uh, to love is to be concerned with the desires of others. To sometimes have to take a, t- a risk in order to build up somebody. To say, I think God might be saying this to me and I, I just want to share that with you. And this is a sign, I think, of true spiritual maturity in the church, a maturity that the Corinthian church needed to learn and one that no doubt we do too. Um, Just end at verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. He wants us to be grown up about this, to think and pray carefully about it. And so the way that we exercise gifts will speak volumes about our maturity as Christians and as a church, a body of believers, for the purpose of building up, to serve as it began in chapter, four, in chapter 12. The purpose is for the common good, to building up one another for our edification, our building up. Let's pray, shall we? Um, God, our Father, we've gone through, rattled through quite a lot. Father God, we just pray that we'll go away from here, perhaps reviewing chapter 14 again. Um, Help us to go away, to to pray into these things. 
uh, to understand your word and what you're saying to us. Um, That as we uh, seek as a church to be built up and to grow, that these gifts would be uh, exercised in a way that does indeed build up in the way of love. That be for your purposes and for your glory as we seek to serve one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.